Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. I like to put out good scholarly research, but I want to make it readable, and, and I want to reach a wide audience. I think having an op-ed in a newspaper is going to reach more people generally than having an article in an academic journal. Academics produce an astonishing amount of research that has real-world implications, but often that research never reaches the public. This being a journalism podcast, you'd think there might be a journalistic solution to that problem, and in fact, there is. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. During the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, news outlets teamed up with physicians to develop hybrid journalism projects in order to more quickly disseminate important health news. Richard Lee is an associate professor at the St. Bonaventure University Gendoli School of Communication. He's here to talk about a new hybrid journalism project that the school started in February. Richard, welcome to It's All Journalism. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I look forward to chatting with you. And I'm looking forward to chatting with you as well. I would be remiss if I did not mention that Amber Healy, who's one of our producers, is a graduate of the journalism program at St. Bonaventure. Go Bonnies, I guess. That's right. We're all we're <laughs> proud of our um, journalism program, our basketball team, and uh, a lot of other things at St. Bonaventure. So. I've actually seen St. Bonaventure play. My son uh, is a graduate of George Mason University. Oh, that's right. So, you, so you're in the Atlantic 10, or he's at an Atlantic yeah, 10 school. He was, yeah, now, yes. So, anywho, so so much for college basketball. <laughs> so, so how'd you end up at the Jandoli School of Communication? Well, actually, I went to undergraduate school at St. Bonaventure, and I earned a degree not in journalism, but in English in 1975 um, from New Jersey, went back to New Jersey, and I was fortunate to have a long career in journalism, later in government communication, somewhere along the line. I had been teaching as an adjunct. I liked that. And at age 49, I decided, why not get a PhD? So I went back to school. It took me 10 years. Towards the end of that process, I noticed an opportunity to teach at St. Bonaventure. And I really wasn't planning to leave my job or my home in New Jersey, but the opportunity to teach journalism, to train the next generation of journalists at your alma mater was intriguing. So I came up for the interview, was very impressed by what I saw. That was 2011, and I've been here more than a decade now. To give everybody a little sense of location, it's uh, Bonaventure's in like southern New York. Is that where it's at? We're actually in western New York. We're about 75 miles south of Buffalo is the best way to describe it, just above the Pennsylvania border. You're in the Frank's Red Hawk section of uh, New York. Yeah, exactly. More precisely, the Weber's Mustard section of uh, the state of New York. <laughs> My wife is from western New York, so I've been indoctrinated to all of the western New York you know, specialties here. Yeah, as is mine. My my wife is also from Tonawanda near Buffalo. But anyway, you're at St. Bonaventure and you know, we're here to talk about this hybrid journalism program. How did this sort of come about? I was trying to remember exactly when the idea came up, but somewhere I had read an article about it was either Sanjay Gupta or Dr. John Lapook, who works for CBS. And, you know, I had been following them, you know, their reports on CNN, on CBS, and never made the connection. I saw this term in the article, hybrid journalist, and it just struck me that it was really a good way to report on medical issues. And they predate the pandemic, but obviously when the pandemic struck, 
people felt better hearing news and learning about the pandemic, how to protect themselves from a medical professional, as opposed to a journalist who was speaking to a medical professional. I remember when I was a general assignment reporter, you kind of had to become an expert on a different topic each day. So I like that idea. And we have a small grant program at St. Bonaventure that funds projects that are interdisciplinary. So I decided to see, you know, if we can take a look at creating some hybrid partnerships between members of the journalism faculty and some people in other disciplines, kind of modeled after, you know, what has worked very well with um, medical hybrid journalists. This program started in February. What are some of the projects that hybrid journalists are working on? We have five projects underway right now. None of them you know, are complete yet. The timeline is they'll finish them at the end of the semester. So I can run through the topics, but I would say kind of as a caveat, and one of the things we're learning from this is the non-journalism faculty, they have some ideas for some great topics, but they're not really honed into news stories yet. That's what the journalism faculty members are doing. But for example, we have a philosophy professor who's looking at some of the moral and ethical issues involving the COVID vaccine. Like when we restrict people from certain locations, you know, how that plays out. We have a history professor who's looking at culture wars, but from a historical perspective that we, th we think they're new, but he's, you know, taking a look at, you know, similar culture items that divided people in the past. We have a physical education teacher who's taking a look at Title IX and whether or not it's been effective. And that's a good, good example of how the journalism professors and the other professors are working together. You know, her idea was, I'm going to write a story about whether Title IX was effective. And the journalism professor said, that's great. First thing we have to do is define what's effective. So that's the sort of dialogue that's taking place between the journalism people and the non-journalism people. Is, is this just sort of open to other faculty members at Bonaventure? I put out essentially a call for papers, which is, you know, what normally happens with an academic conference to all the journalism, to the entire faculty. We have a faculty listserv. I explained what the program was and, you know, got five faculty members who were interested in partnering with faculty from the Jim Dolly School. But it was open to everybody. You know, I had funding for five projects and I got five proposals and they all were good. So that worked out very nicely. Perfect. So you've got five different people from different, you know, disciplines. You know, what is it the journalism faculty is doing? The idea is to sort of train them to think journalistically, or is it something more than that? That's part of it. I guess the secondary goal is to get people outside of the world of journalism to get a better understanding of what it is that we do, because I think you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding out there. The journalism faculty more or less are working as editors. You know, they had an initial meeting. They talked about the direction the story would go in. They would recommend people for interviews, maybe narrowing the topic. And then the non-journalism faculty members are coming back with drafts and they're just going back and forth in that process. So what is the end result that you're hoping to come out of this? End result should be five stories that we can post on the Jandoli Institute website. The Institute is a public policy center that I run here. And what we do, we've done other projects, not identical to this, but interdisciplinary projects. So we'll post them there for everyone to read, but we're also going to have a panel discussion. And I haven't decided yet on the format, maybe a live discussion and maybe a, a video discussion to kind of unpack what has happened to see what we've learned. I mean, what did the journalism people learn about 
people outside of our field, you know, what do they not understand and, and what did the other, you know, people learn about what it takes to make a good journalism story. And I guess the end result would be how can we continue to work together to collaborate, to provide people with news and information that they need, much like what happened during the pandemic. Yeah, this is all sort of, you know, in academia. This is not something that the journalism students are involved in or, or are they in some way? They are. Um, Two were journalism students, two were from the disciplines of the other professors. The, the grant included money for a student assistant for each project. So, you know, they're working and they kind of left it up to each team how they wanted to use that student. And they seem to be using them in, in different ways. In some, some ways, the student is helping, the journalism student is, you know, assisting the non-journalism professor with, you know, some of the techniques that he or she might not be familiar with. In other cases, they're working with people in their own departments and their disciplines on some of the research. I know that, you know, as part of what academics do is they research whatever their speciality is. And, you know, they'll write papers, they'll speak on, on issues they have knowledge of. Is the idea that you want to help the, you know, non-journalist academic to better understand and, and better communicate, or maybe to present something that they might not think could go to a wider audience and address a larger issue, but to get them sort of thinking that way? The key to me is what you said, to reach that wider audience. As you said, academics write a number of papers. They get published in journals. They are not widely read. When I see some of my colleagues outside of the journalism school, the communication school, I see they have a lot of expertise and they have something to say. They have something to say that's valuable. And I'd like to get that out to a wider audience. Over the years, since I kind of you know, started my career as a practitioner, as a journalist, as a public relations professional, and then moved into academia, I tried to integrate the two fields so that I like to put out good scholarly research, but I want to make it readable and I want to reach a wide audience. I think having an op-ed in a newspaper is going to reach more people generally than having an article in an academic journal. And certainly, you know, COVID obviously is the big recent example of something where there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of information coming from a lot of different places. There were concerns about information being false and, and misleading. And journalism industry is, we're faced with a situation where people don't trust us. A lot of people don't trust us. It's part of our duty to try to figure out ways to get more people to, to trust us. And it's something you said at the very beginning you know, this idea that you wanted people who are knowledgeable or who are experts in, you know, scientific or health or medical fields to be sort of giving that information. So do you see this as sort of a long term, you know, this is something that maybe other schools should be doing in order to, you know, leverage some of the expertise that their different programs have? I would like to see other schools. I'd like to see more of this type of collaboration between academics and practitioners. Um, after I left my last government job in New Jersey, I spent six years you know, helping to run a public policy center there called the Hall Institute. And I worked with an executive director who was a, a brilliant scholar. And I brought the practical experience. And we often 
combine those two elements. And I think we produced a lot of good work, work that was helpful to citizens, to decision makers in New Jersey. And, you know, that's what I would hope would come out of this project. From what I can see so far, I'd like to continue it, do another round. That's one of the reasons I want to have a, a good discussion, have some dialogue afterward to see how we can, you know, make the project even better the second time, because it's kind of uncharted territory. And that's exciting. But at the same time, I'm constantly rethinking, you know, what can we do next time to make this project even better? You know, journalists sometimes struggle with technical and, you know, healthcare and, and other types of science-based stories. And if we don't have that expertise or a point of contact, do you see this as part of either Bonaventure's or your school's, like, you know, this is, you know, a program that we have, this is the slate of expertise that we have. You know, if you have a story like this, you can come to us and, and these are people that you, who understand your needs as a news writer and a reporter, what, what type of information you're looking for? I certainly would like to see that happen. I mean, that's kind of a little bit out of my area. We have a separate public relations communications office and they, they do a great job getting our people out there, but I'd love to, you know, become the go-to person. I think journalists, and I did this too when I was a journalist, we tend to go to the same core of experts most frequently, usually because they're accessible, they're quotable, and there's a lot of other people out there doing good work. So I think the more we can get a diverse group of experts out there to journalists, you know, we've been talking a lot about the benefits to the non-journalism faculty. I think for the journalism faculty, and they can even bring this into their classroom, it's a way to show how to use these experts to make your reporting stronger. So tell me a little bit about the Jandoli School of Communication, but also the uh, Jandoli Institute. I mean, I would imagine the school, you're teaching communication, but tell me a little bit about its history. I liken the Jandoli School of Communication to our basketball team. There's some parallels there. We're a very small school, one of the smallest Division I schools, but we compete nationally. And I like to feel the same way about our journalism school as a communication school. We, we were a school of journalism as the field expanded. We're, we're now a school of communication because we teach journalism, we teach broadcasting, we teach what we call strategic communication, which is a lot of public relation courses. So, so we have a number of majors which in the school of communication. I was checking this morning, I think about 165 majors, you know, students who are majoring in something within the Jandoli school. And We've produced, you know, just like our basketball team, some really great, successful journalists, you know, people who have national reputations. I'm proud we have six Pulitzer Prize winners, which is a lot for any school, let alone a school our size. So there's a lot of quality instruction here, quality people coming out of the school. Most of the faculty members have backgrounds similar to mine, where they worked in their fields for a number of years before they turned to academia. So that's a bit about the Jandoli School. It's a wonderful place to work. I just love just walking up and down the hallway. And one of the things I missed during COVID was the ability to do that and just pop into people's offices and have conversations, much like the one that you and I are having now. The Jandoli Institute is a public policy center that I started, I used my sabbatical year, I guess, which I guess was about three years ago to do a feasibility study to see if we could start some sort of research center at St. Bonaventure. I had been involved in one in New Jersey before I came to St. Bonaventure, and it was always my goal to try to start something similar here. So the goal of the Institute is to explore the connection between media and democracy, which is a pretty broad topic, and we bring a lot of items under that umbrella. 
but it's much like the, you know, the work I was looking at the different podcasts, you know, that you have on your site, we're taking a look at the industry. When you work as a journalist, it's a fast paced, demanding job, and you don't really have time to think about some of the broader issues affecting the industry. So that's what I'm trying to do with the Institute. Cool. And Jandoli, who is that person or thing? Or? Yes. Russell Jandoli started the journalism program at St. Bonaventure, I believe in 1948. I'm not quite sure the date. He taught journalism courses in the English department, I believe. And then as that expanded, journalism became its own department and eventually its own school within the university. You know, you mentioned the, the Institute that you, you know, it was sort of started to become a public policy institute. You know, what are some of the things that you've been focusing on since the Institute started? Looking a lot at the gap between what the media reports and what the public is interested in, and this is similar to some of the research I did when I was in graduate school. For example, I incorporate students into the work of the Institute as much as I can. I teach um, a course which also is called Media and Democracy, and during the month of March 2021, I had the students read the transcripts. Every student was assigned to a different day to read the transcript from the White House press briefing and to code all the questions. So at the end of the month, we could see what the press was asking about most and match that up with some polls on what the public was most interested in. And we saw, you know, a lot of differences there. For instance, you know, number of questions on immigration, which didn't seem to be a top you know, issue. Most members of the public, as you probably know, are interested in pocketbook issues, taxes, things like that. So we've done work like that. We have a partnership with PolitiFact, where our students work with Lou Jacobson, who's a senior correspondent at PolitiFact, to actually do fact checks that appear on a PolitiFact website. We did a program with somewhat similar goals to what the hybrid project is. It was called Media Studies Across Disciplines, where, again, we had professors from other departments, you know, wrote something about their discipline and how it related to the news media. You know, what does this mean, do you think, to the students when they're spending time looking at, at, at issues like this about, you know, what questions are being asked during a press conference, a White House press conference, and then seeing those sort of disparities in what people are sort of interested in? I believe it's a real eye-opener, and it's an eye-opener that's based on data, on hard information. I really try to discourage the students from doing what we see in a lot of dialogues, not just in academia, but on cable television and other places where people just put out statements or have opinions and don't really back them up with facts. You know, we could say, I think that particular study was prompted by something I saw on CNN where a bunch of panelists were saying the press corps is out of touch with, you know, with the public. I said, well, let's see if they really are out of touch. So that was a way to, you know, create a database and compare that with the polls. So I believe they enjoy that and hopefully it will help them. They'll take that into their jobs, you know, as journalists. I teach, you know, some basic journalism courses, writing and editing, but in every one of those courses, we spend time talking about the industry because I believe in order to be a, a good journalist, you not only have to learn how to write a lead, how to organize your story, how to do interviews, but you really should know what's happening in your, uh, in your industry. How long have you been there at the school? I've been here since the fall of 2011. 2011. That's a good long time. Yeah. And actually, that's a really significant time in our industry when you think of the way, you know, the internet has changed things and as well as the way American politics has is, is sort of changed. What are the 2022 students like compared to the 2011 students? 
I think they reflect what's happened, you know, across the board, regardless of age groups. They don't come to school, you know, having read news stories regularly, maybe the way that I did because I'm much older, because that's all there was. You know, there's so many different items or things out there competing for people's education. So part of what we need to do is spend a little time just talking about what news stories are. They want information quickly and immediately. And again, that's what everybody seems to want these days. And, you know, going back to you know, your question since 2011, I always tell people journalism is a field where you almost have to redesign your course every semester. It's not like teaching math or French where, you know, things don't change from semester to semester. And, you know, in order to keep current, to keep fresh, we have to take a look at what's happening in the industry, you know, what the trends are, what you know, people may be doing in 2022 that they were not doing in 2015. Oh, for sure. And that's one of the reasons I sort of wanted to go down this route in my questioning. You know, like you, I went back to school. I didn't get a doctorate, but I did get a master's degree in 2012, which kind of led me to what I'm doing right here. You got me interested in the way our industry was changing and, you know, talking to people like you, learning a lot of things about it. And I had the opportunity for, you know, three semesters to be able to teach podcasting to students at American University. But one of the things I heard from, not necessarily, you know, I was an adjunct professor, but not from other adjuncts, but from, you know, regular academics who'd been teaching journalism for, you know, years, that the, you know, the more recent students are very different. And one of the things that they found concerning was, you know, the way they viewed the news, the fact that they, you know, I think you just said it, that they they maybe weren't reading, you know, newspapers or they weren't watching the news regularly. And they may come in with certain preconceived notions about, you know, what the role of the press is. So I guess you see that as well? Absolutely. And I think, you know, we have to take a step back. I know I do and some of the other faculty members do and just don't take for granted that they come to college knowing certain things and understanding how the media works. You know, we see that some in their initial news stories, you know, sometimes they don't read like news stories. They read more like high school essays because that's what they've been doing. That's what they've been trained to do. We have to explain that you don't tell the story chronologically. It's most important to least important. And that's something different for them. We have to explain that paragraphs may be a sentence or two. And, you know, they're used to a paragraph with an introductory sentence, a middle and an end. It's, it's just a different type of writing than most of them have been used to. And it's a different type of writing than most of them have been exposed to. And I know certainly when I was in school, you know, you had the first year where you're doing your reporting course and that really kind of messes with yeah. your, the way you you construct sentences and ideas and, and express yourself. One of the other things we've talked about on the podcast is this idea of media literacy. And I mean, that's part of this, I guess, and something that you're having to do, you know, quote, unquote, in the trenches with a new bunch of students coming in. Okay, let's get everybody up to speed on what we're doing or what news is. One of the things about this, the generation that is in college now is that this is the generation that has grown up with the internet and they've grown up with social media. Do you see that as something that affects the way they communicate? Having grown up, there's that term you're probably familiar with, you know, digital immigrants, digital natives, they're digital natives. This is all, you know, all that they've known. So it definitely affects the way they communicate, the way they obtain information and, you know, what they believe. And I think there's unfortunately sometimes what appears on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram gets equated 
to what a journalist does because it's information they're receiving, but it doesn't go through that same scrutiny that a news story goes through. And that's part of my job as a journalism you know, professor. And I would say it's not something that is a problem only for students. And I think in our society at large with the growth of the internet and social networks, more and more people are falling into that same trap. I agree with you. I only mentioned it, you know, I'm calling out the students right. because I'm talking to a professor here. Yeah. And, but yeah, that is true. But part of the, part of the solution, knock on wood, is training these digital natives who are pursuing some sort of a career in media that they understand, you know, the values, these old values that we have in the way we do things, how they can use them in the world that they exist in now so that they can, you know, help others to, you know, identify good sources of information. I was just going to say they're old values, but they're still the values that are still critical to our industry. Exactly. So let me, let me try and wrap this up in a, in a positive way. What do you, what are your hopes for your students? Well, obviously I believe journalism is important. It's critical to our democracy. And I would hope that they would go out and do the type of good, important work that the nation needs. You know, that's, you know, kind of a broad, far-reaching goal. If I had to sum it up, you know, that, that's what I'd like to see them do, whether they're writing about sports, entertainers, or, or politics. They just, you know, continue to keep the practice of good quality journalism going. Rich, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks again for inviting me. I've enjoyed the conversation. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.